You're listening to the best of Morning Drive with Dietrich and White, an on-demand audio presentation of redpeachsports.com and ESPN977.com. Now here's today's show. Good morning, North Louisiana. What up? How goes it? Aaron and Jake Martin hanging out here in the Caldwell Banker Group One Realty Studio in West Monroe. John Tabor doing a fine job back at the Sports Talk 97.7 headquarters in Ruston. Uh, still waiting on Gus. He's dealing with some uh, issues right now. But uh, we look back at some headlines, and, of course, uh, we continue to get you ready for the college football season. Boom. All right, so I, I did a little math on that break. The Uh-oh. big, the top four Big Ten East teams last year and the top four SEC West teams last year were both, if you added all their wins together, they both had 41. So Big Big Ten had 41 and the SEC had 41. So it's very com- uh, comparable uh, when you're looking at the top conference in, in, the, in the whole country. All right, as we pull an audible here, uh, let's dive into this thing. Uh, previews continue. We go with the Big Ten Conference. Big picture, Jake, after doing some in-depth research over the course of the last two weeks, not just the last 24 hours, what's the big story from the Big Ten? The big story from the Big Ten is Michigan, and I'm glad Hogan sent this. And he said, with Shea Patterson, I think this is the year Michigan finally beats Ohio State. Uh, Michigan will be tough. I think that's what we're all kind of looking at, is is this the year that Michigan puts together the pieces to make that college football playoff berth. I like them a lot. Now, I I was looking at some magazines. They don't like them as much as I do. I've seen uh, some three-loss predictions and some – I think I even saw a four-loss prediction somewhere. So it's it's going to be tough because, like I said, you're dealing with some of the best teams in the country when you're talking about Michigan State, Penn State, and Ohio State. But uh, we'll, get, we'll, we'll continue this later. Uh, that sound means Gus Cattengill from ESPN New Orleans joins us on the Stuart Shelby Goosehead Insurance Hotline. He will join us in a second. <laughs> Can I get to my Big Ten preview? I feel like I'm having all these false starts. Uh, the one thing about Michigan's defense last year, uh, they didn't have a lot of experience coming back. I think they're ranked somewhere no. where like 127th in the country. It now turns around. All those guys, a majority of them, did get some experience. They got seven starters back. So you would think, on paper, that bodes well for Harbaugh's D. That's exactly right. I mean, you return – Every starter from the secondary, you return all Americans at linebacker and defensive end. I mean, last year, Rashawn Gary and Chase Winovich, they totaled 17, I mean, 14 sacks last year. So the the real question, I think, is defensive tackle because of the losses that they had there. But uh, if they can figure that out, man, this defense is going to be lights out yet again. I've said this stat before. Shea Patterson threw more touchdowns and threw for more yards in seven games at Ole Miss than Michigan did all of last season. So now you bring him into the mix, and I expect that to be the difference maker because this offense was 105th in the country last year. Let's try this again. If it doesn't work, we're just trying to screw with uh, Jake. I guess so. <laughs> Gus Catengill joins us on the Stuart Shelby Goosehead Insurance Hotline. Gus, how you doing this morning, bud? Doing well, man. John, just uh, help me remember something that I, I'm not too fond of yet. It's all a really new growing up. I, I heard a dial-up tone, you know, the dee-dee. <laughs> You're just waiting, you know, to connect to the Internet. and Yeah, that was just weird. (laughs) All right, a a couple things. Uh, Elvin Gentry tries to clear some things up uh, yesterday. Speaking to reporters, says there's no truth to the rumor that Anthony Davis did not want Boogie Cousins back in New Orleans. I guess this needed to come out and kind of clear up some of these rumors. 
Yeah, and you wonder how much of that is, you know, to clear up and how much of that is just to kind of move forward. And, look, I think at the end of the day, um, actions on, on, on both sides speak volumes. Uh, I think um, it's what we've talked about for weeks leading into this. Uh, I definitely think the Pelicans wanted him back. I think Anthony Davis definitely wanted him back. But sort of like I think you even asked me, you know, we're afraid or – you know, how is Anthony Davis going to feel if you don't sign him back? I think, as I told you in the past, I think Anthony Davis wants to win basketball games and understands that, you know, somebody's not 100% or coming back from an injury like that, the last thing you can do is give somebody max. And, again, you know, the Pels didn't do anything that anyone else in the NBA didn't do, not even the Dallas Mavericks. They went with DeAndre Jordan, um, the Lakers, obviously with LeBron, but – Nobody offered him a multi-year deal, and no one offered him over $100 million guaranteed. So, you know, to say that the Pels didn't want him or the Pels didn't, I mean, nobody else in the NBA bought that either. So, um, you know, again, you just go back to what happened, and what happened was he had to make two phone calls, and then he went to the top two teams in each conference as a middle finger to everybody. So, you know, I don't think this was ever a situation where the Pels didn't want him back or his teammates didn't want him back. But I do think at the end of the day, it was like, look, man, if you don't, you don't want to be back, then, then you know, it is what it is. But um, I think you can look at it a number of different ways because, remember, none of these players are either talking on record or if they are, they're talking through anonymous sources or their camps and their people. So, Somewhere along the way, somebody said, hey, A.D. doesn't want me back. Now, maybe that's, you know, DeMarcus Cousins feeling that if A.D. really wanted him back, he would have been back. Maybe that's somebody that was talking to somebody that knows Anthony Davis said, man, you know, forget that dude if he's going to go to, you know, to to Golden State, then I don't want him here. And that was taken into, uh, he never wanted him here to begin with. You know what I'm saying? So, um, you don't know how text conversations, phone calls, third-party things kind of go through. But I think what you heard yesterday more than anything was was Alvin Gentry kind of moving forward, closing that chapter in book and saying, hey, it is what it is. And, um, you know, we wanted him. Because, look, I, I who knows? <laughs> Maybe we try to sign him back uh, next year if he's healthy. You know, I've seen stranger things, you know. But um, I don't know, man. I, I, I think at the end of the day uh, – it sounded to me like Alvin Gentry was playing dad and was just like, look, you know what? I want to focus on our team, and I, and I don't want to worry about it. So much activity and so many moves in the last uh, week. Now as you look at the rosters throughout the NBA and, of course, in the Western Conference, where do you see the, the rosters talent-wise for the Pels compared to everybody else in the West? I don't think it's that horrible. I mean, look, here's the thing. I think one of the things that – Everybody talks about, and, and rightfully so, right? With, with the Ray John Rondo loss, you lose the leadership, the playoff ability on there. Um, but, you know, my thing is, and I think it's something that we touched on last week, you know, you, you have a situation where I thought towards the end of last year you saw Anthony Davis kind of learn from what Rondo was trying to teach and, and jump up in terms of the leadership value. I think you, you saw Drew Holiday kind of take a little more ownership and say, hey, even though we have a franchise player, I, you know, I can be maybe perhaps, you know, to use a uh, analogy I think we're all familiar with, you know, be the Pippin. And I think he kind of saw that last year, right? I mean, even in games in which 
he hit a game-winning shot or a game-winning layup or something. You know, you said, hey, AD, pick me up. You saw games where Drew Holiday had great games, and uh-oh, misses a free throw, and AD would win the game with a couple of made free throws. He would say, hey, this guy picked me up. So I think it was probably a learning process and stage of both of those guys and saying, okay, look, we can both be, you know, important players. Yeah, you're you're one and I'm one B. And I think you saw that with both of those. So I think immediately the first thing that pops in my head is, yes, you lost a lot of leadership. Yes, you lost a lot of playoff experience. But I think last year winning that series, how they, do, how they did it, because, look, AD was key, right? He had 40-point games in those. But Drew Holiday, I thought, a lot of times was unstoppable and realized, hey, I can be a catalyst on this offense as well. So I'm not too concerned from that aspect of it. The other thing, too, is everyone you look at, and when you go look at people that cover Julius Randle, either nationally or locally, they all rave about the kid. They all say that he's getting better. They all say he's going to fit and thrive in this kind of offense. He's excited, wants to be here. He's clearly wanting to play for a bigger deal, too. So you'll get motivation uh, from that aspect of it. I, I think the pace and space style basketball that Gentry's always wanted to run is the one that suits and works. I mean, I know it's summer league, but in the first two games you really kind of saw that, you know, you're seeing a, a style. This is what the Pels are going to be. Now it's about finding players that can fit that style, a la San Antonio. And that's something that I've been kind of keeping an eye on. What are, what are the Pels going to be? What is their calling card? Who are they? And then you try to find players and plug them in that fit that style rather than trying to constantly change. So, you know, look, with Alfred Payton, you can look at it this way, Aaron. I mean, you could say, you know, he hadn't played well. He was a defensive player of the year in college basketball. How come he can't play defense in the NBA? I'm not making excuses, but when you have five different coaches in four years with the Orlando Magic or, you know, the Phoenix Suns, that's, that's kind of hard. That's kind of hard. Five different philosophies, five different coaches. And in the 16 games of the Suns last year, what was it, 16 points, five assists. So, And that was a higher-tempo-paced style of play. And you heard Gentry yesterday say that he thinks he's going to thrive in this kind of system. So I, I just look at it like this. Yeah, the Lakers got LeBron. No one else is really – I mean, you know, they got, you know, Rondo there, but it's not exactly like they got a big three. You didn't see Kawhi go there. You didn't see a lot of these other players. So – I would say one of those eight teams, you know, the Lakers get in. I think that's expected. But, you know, you look at San Antonio, they're a mess right now. Do they have Kawhi Leonard? Do they, um, you know, have to trade him? And, and where does he go? And also when that happens, how does it affect everything else? And, you know, if he's not on that team, are they better? Are they a playoff team? Is there a streak of 20-plus seasons of being in the postseason come to an end. So I think when you look at it from that perspective, Portland maybe as well. You never know how happy Damian Lillard is. Is he a guy that they maybe trade at the deadline? I think the Pels are still a playoff team. And, you know, I'll close on this. I I had a national guy, Matt Moore, come on last week. And this guy eats, breathes, sleeps basketball, okay? Knows more hoops than, you know, forgets hoops than than I know. And, I had a pause in our interview when he said, look, I still think the Pelicans are a team that can compete in the Western Conference. And my head kind of stopped. Okay, I thought he was going to say playoffs. So I started going to the next question until it hit me. He said finals, Western mm. Conference finals. Mm. And I, I, I said, wait, wait a minute. Like the Western Conference finals? And he goes, absolutely. 
And then he went on, and like you said, he loved the Randall signing. He thinks Peyton can maybe do some of that. He doesn't think that Del Demps has probably done retooling this team. And, um, you know, now like I said, he went through all the other teams. Look, it's like, did they get stronger? Did they not? And, you know, they should be a team that can compete. He absolutely believes this team is a playoff caliber team. So if they play like the end of last season. Gus, what are you talking about later today, and where can we hear it? Uh, you can come on over at uh, ESPN Radio New Orleans at noon. Obviously, we'll be touching on Alvin Kamara and Marshawn Lattimore with their camp yesterday. They're super excited, and I love how they said that um, their next goal is offensive and defensive player of the year, not just rookie of the year. So hard to believe, what, 15 days until training camp practices uh, start over there. So we'll touch on that and obviously more on the Pels. Thanks, guys. Appreciate yeah, it. Have sure. a great week. Thank you, Aaron. Bye-bye. Gus Cattengale from ESPN New Orleans. Can you talk or you got a chicken no, sandwich? I'm, I'm good. I think we need to move on with our Big Ten preview, and I'm done talking Michigan because I've talked with them like three separate times. So Is Warren one of our favorite listeners? He is 100% our favorite listener. <laughs> you can be bribed? Yes, <laughs> I can be bribed. 888-993-7762. The Matt Canada, Lane Kiffin, Jim Harbaugh lover. Jake Martin will be back with a Big Ten preview. All right, to get you ready for the college football season, we continue to break down the conferences. Today it is the Big Ten that we are putting in the spotlight. Jake has done some in-depth research. Where are we starting, Jake? All right, we've already run, ran through Michigan. If you missed it, I'm sorry. I don't feel like going over them again. So let's continue in that division. One thing about Michigan, though, uh, Shea Patterson, of course, the hired gun that they're bringing in, you look at him. Right away, maybe it's because the lack of quarterbacks overall in the Big Ten this year, you could make the argument he is probably the second-best QB right now behind McSorley in the league. I would go third, probably. I think um, Lewerke, I would put Lewerke above him. Michigan State's quarterback. Yeah, uh, he was so good last year. But, yeah, I mean, you can make an argument that he's, that he's top three already. And what a difference that makes for Michigan, who had, what, the, the third worst combination, no matter who you, you put back there uh, last last season. So, yeah, that's a, that's a big change, big change for, for Michigan. All right. You like Michigan in the East. Obviously, Ohio State is obviously, again, will be uh, – Obviously. That's the matchup everybody wants to see. Of course, um, you look at Ohio State, Urban Meyer is undoubtedly, or at least in my opinion, the second best coach in the country. And so he's always going to be in the running because of that and with the assortment of the talent he returns. You have to consider Ohio State one of the best teams, if not the best team in the Big Ten. What I'm interested to see is how, how can Dwayne Haskins build off of his Michigan heroics last season. Of course, this is the player who sent Joe Burrow packing. Uh, Burrow, for I mean, we can only speculate. It seems as if he, he wasn't going to play, so he – Said, all right, I'll go play elsewhere. Now he's at LSU, so we'll see what Haskins brings to the table. Of course, he is a very he's, he's much quicker and more athletic than Burrow. Of course, he can throw the ball as well, so he he has the potential to be a star at Ohio State. But I think when you're talking about Ohio State and that offense, it has to start start with J.K. Dobbins, who is going to be, you know, you look at Dobbins last year, he was one of the best uh, running backs in the country, and. That's saying something when he's in a division with the guy with guys like Saquon Barkley, you know, and uh, Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin. So 
that he's he's a special running back who was worthy of the hype last season. We saw that firsthand, and then the receiving core ter- returns its top seven producers from last season. So Ohio State's got some experience returning on offense. Defense was extremely nasty last season. I see them being good again, of course, with with Nick Bosa being the head of that, and and Chase Young also broke out last year on that defensive line. I I like what they have all around. I think the season will be, you know, dictated by the success of Dwayne Haskins at quarterback. If he's the guy that Urban Meyer, you know, views him to be, which which by all accounts, I mean, he he picked him as a starter over Joe Burrow, then uh, you know, Ohio State could be making another trip to the College Football Playoff. Talking about Ohio State offense last year was ranked uh, fourth in the country in conference play. Averaged over 46 points per game. You mentioned Dobbins uh, averaged 100 yards per game on the ground. Yeah, he was sensational. All right, moving on. Michigan State, um, you know, I think when you start with Michigan State, you have to start with the returners they have. They returned 10 starters on offense, Aaron, including Brian Lewerke, who I just mentioned. Um, This is a guy who ran that RPO to near perfection last year, and he's a guy who can throw it downfield. He's a guy who reeled off. You know, 60-plus runs last year. That's multiple people. That's not just one. He had, a, I think, a 61 and a 69-yarder last season. Uh, so he is he is tremend- a tremendous athlete that really did help Michigan State get back to the level that, you know, we all expect under D'Antonio. And so the offensive line is, is pretty solid. L.J. Scott is the big back that's led them in rushing the last, what, three seasons. So you look at this team, it's an experienced group. Uh, like I said, 10 starters returning. And then on the defense, you know, the, the Michigan State limited teams to less than 95 yards rushing and held opponents to 20 points last season. So they returned nine starters on that side of the ball. In total, that's 19 starters returning from a 10-win team, okay? That's why I'm saying I don't know if any conference is as uh, – division-wise is, is, is four teams deep like this division is because you've got a Michigan State team that I expect to only get better from after a 10-win season. And then, of course, uh, Penn State, James Franklin. It's hard to believe, beginning his fifth year, biggest question mark there is, and it is a huge one, how do you replace a guy like Barkley? Yeah, I have Penn State. I put them behind the other three we've already mentioned in this division just because of what they've lost. I mean, you lose the best player in college football, like you said. You lose the best tight end in college football. Uh, you lose a, a, their most talented receiver. Two of their top three receivers. You lose uh, Joe Moorhead to Mississippi State, and of course the offensive coordinator who, who ran things. So how is this offense going to look without those pieces? That's the question mark heading into this season. You do have the luxury of returning Trace McSorley. You know you got four guys up front that that return as well, and uh, you got a running back in Miles Sanders who averaged 6.7 yards per carry on 56 carries last season. So you still have talent, but you look at Saquon Barkley, man. He what he had 32% of this team's total offense last season, 32%. So replacing a guy like Barkley is such a big deal. I think probably even bigger than that would be replacing Moorhead. Just because he he did, you look at what he did when he arrived at Penn State. He took that offense to extreme heights. Uh, What's this offense going to look like without him? I think that's going to be quite the transition. So I I look at this team, and because of all the things I mentioned, I think they're fourth best in that division. Uh, I know you did your research on Maryland, Indiana, and Rutgers. Why should we care about any of these three besides Matt Canada? 
being I didn't realize he's sharing the offensive coordinator role there with the Terps. <laughs> it's very strange, isn't it? <laughs> How's that going to work? Out? I don't know. Um, so Maryland, uh, <laughs> you want the best bang for your buck? I look at that line. Texas is minus ten on the season opener mm. against Maryland. And I think Texas covers that. I, I get it. I know Maryland beat them last year, and I know Maryland struggled because they had a lot of injuries at quarterback. It's like whoever they put back there, they got injured, which was a lot of bad luck. But, man, you look at the score statistics on offense and defense, they were 100 or worse and, and, and on both sides of the ball. So for that reason, I think you know Texas is going to wipe them out. And I, I don't really – I'm not very high on Maryland. Indiana, I, I watched – more Indiana than I'd like to admit last year. Um, and they never really had a problem competing with the bigger teams in the conference. Like, you you look at last year, they had competitive games against Ohio State, Michigan, and Michigan State. But they were minus seven in the turnover margin last year, and that's that, that was one of the worst turnover margins in the country, and that's why you saw Indiana lose as many games as they did. Um, and Rutgers, you know, they only won four games last year and expected to be near the bottom in the Big Ten again. I think one thing I was looking at with Rutgers, they have an opportunity to win more games because six of their first seven opponents were a combined 20 and 52 last year. So so there's some opportunity to grow if you're a Rutgers fan. Other than that, let's just if you're looking at that division, just keep your eyes on the Big Four. Right. Jake, you may have a problem. If you're breaking down Rutgers' schedule that in-depth, I, what I love college. Let me say this: I'm glad I get to break it down like this. I would do the same stuff with MMA, but I understand there's not an audience for that. Football, there's an audience for this. This is my passion. I love you know college football. I, I try to break down every team. I was joking. Well, how about we go to the West after the break and uh, Iowa and look at uh, Iowa, their their schedule this year? How they're able to avoid Ohio State, Dude, Michigan, and Michigan State? I don't know how this works out in their favor, but yet again, Iowa is in a great position because they avoid those big, big opponents out of the other division. Eight 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 nine nine three seven seven six two. It's the Stuart Shelby Goosehead Insurance Hotline slash Text Line. Go to StuartShelby.com for a free quote. See how the power of choice can help you on auto and home insurance. Big Ten preview continues after the break. Also, uh, our legend conversations with legendary coaches will continue. We'll have some sound with Charlie Brown coming up later in the show. The Morning Drive is back after this. All right, Jake, I uh, got a couple uh, texts here. Someone says they're listening carefully, Jake. I'll be working on my research, and we'll talk soon. That must John, be Ronnie, right? Uh, John says, yeah, maybe. John says, thank you for previewing the Big Ten this morning. I am from Big Ten country and miss hearing updates and previews from these programs. Go Blue. You posed a good question over the break. Yeah. Is the West Division of the Big Ten better than the SEC East? Since we made the comparisons with the SEC West and the East Division. Mm-hmm. My initial thought was no, but as I look at it closer, yeah. you know, teams like Minnesota and Nebraska, who are near the bottom of that division, they both have two bright coaches mm-hmm. who should – one should resurrect Nebraska, one should make Minnesota uh, more of a threat, we all assume. Um, if that turns out to be the case, you know, of course it would be year two for Fleck and, and year one for Frost. If Frost has immediate – success then yes i think it can be i don't perceive that though and that for that reason i'll still lean with the SEC because i think the SEC is getting a little bit better 
You look at, you know, Georgia, of course, is going to steal on that lead, but Florida, I think, is going to do great things with Mullen. Uh, Missouri will be very interesting to, to watch this year with Drew Locke as their quarterback. And, of course, Derek Dooley, uh, you know, over him. Uh, and then, of course, South Carolina is very good. And Kentucky is always kind of middle of the pack. They, they usually win a few games you don't expect them to win. All right, let's look at the Big Ten West. Uh, most projected course would either be in Wisconsin or Iowa. We'll get into the Hawkeyes' uh, schedule and how they catch a break once again. Where are you looking at the West? You looking at the Badgers course, or you looking at uh, the Hawkeyes? Of course, it's Wisconsin. Um, so much so that I was looking at future bets and Wisconsin's win total. I think it was ten, and I was very tempted to go over because. Look, they get – okay, first of all, they have the luxury of returning a lot on offense. They don't have the luxury of returning a lot on defense. They still return T.J. Edwards, who is one of the best linebackers in the country. But if you look at offense – Best offensive line in the country? You could argue that, and I think so. Best offensive line in the country. you got Jonathan Taylor, who is an All-American. A, a, you know, on pretty much everybody's board is an All-American uh, preseason. And I'm not crazy about Hornerbrook, Alex Hornerbrook, but he did improve – you know, toward the end of the season last last year, I think a lot of people were are excited about him being the quarterback again. But this is why I like Wisconsin. Their offense will be much will, will be further ahead of its defense to start the season. And you look at the start of their season, Aaron. They get Western Kentucky, New Mexico, BYU, Iowa, and Nebraska in the first five weeks of the season. Once again, the schedule favors. Wisconsin. It puts them in a great position to, I think, eclipse 10 wins and probably get to 11 wins this year. So that's why I like Wisconsin. But you look at Iowa in the schedule, and I don't know how they pulled this off. So they're going to avoid Ohio State, Michigan, and Michigan State, and they get the opportunity to host Wisconsin and Northwestern. If the stars are not aligned right for them to win the West, I don't know what else the league has to do. Yeah, um, and that's that's perfectly right. And and you look at Iowa as far as personnel goes, and you know Nate Stanley I thought was one of the biggest surprises in the conference last year at quarterback. He had a much better year than most people were, were expecting. Of course, you know the offensive line was hit pretty hard by graduation, but we all know that Iowa brand of football they're going to still play smash mouth football. They're still going to get theirs on the ground. Um, and the defense, this is where I'm I'm concerned for for Iowa. How many teams, and there aren't many, how many teams can replace two All-Americans on defense and be just fine? That's what Iowa has to do because they lose Josie Jewell and Josh Jackson, who were two All-Americans. So this is far from a loaded team, but it's a very sound team that, once again, just like Wisconsin, reaps the benefit of scheduling. And don't underestimate the magic of Kinnick Stadium and one of the top ten traditions in college football, of course, with the fans after the first quarter waving to the children in the children's hospital. Did you have to, was that noteworthy? Like, did you have to get that in? Yeah, well, just another dig at you. FS in Farmerville says Iowa needs to avoid their yearly upset to people like Ohio and South Dakota. Yes, they do. Yes, Correct. they do. Uh, and Northwestern, I think, is the other team I'm looking at. Northwestern and Purdue. Northwestern, I remember tuning into Northwestern Penn State last season and going, man, Clayton Thorson can play. Uh, he's a senior who is very talented, but unfortunately he tore his ACL in the last year's bowl game. So the, there's a big question mark surrounding how healthy is he heading into this season. If, if he's not the same Clayton Thorson that we saw last year, 
Northwestern's going to take quite a dive because let's not forget they lost Justin Jackson as well, who was one of the best uh, running backs in the conference, which is saying something in a league that had, I think, the best running backs in the country. So Jeremy Larkin will likely take his spot. He averaged six yards per carry last year, but I just think, you know, Justin Jefferson, I mean, Justin Jackson was one of the premier running backs in the country, and that's just tough to replace. Uh, if Thorson's healthy, I think their ceiling has eight wins. If not, it could it could really go downhill for Northwestern. As far as Purdue goes. Purdue and Illinois, they're tough sales. They, well, Purdue's not as much because look what Jeff Brom did in his first year. They had a couple episodes last year. They sure did. Were they like three, I think? They went seven and six, and they returned four stars from that offensive line. And the defense had a tremendous jump. They were 117th in scoring defense. They jumped up to 24th last year. So I'm interested in seeing what he does in year two. I think if you want to take the we, – we've done divisions. If you want to take a conference argument as a whole, and I suspect we'll get into these debates once the season gets here, which, which conference is the best, Big Ten or, or SEC, Purdue is a team that you can use in your favor for, for uh, the Big Ten because, you know, yes, you have the Wisconsin's, Iowa's, Michigan's, Michigan State's, Penn State's, Ohio State's, but then you have a team like Purdue – who won seven games last year and should be better this year. And so, you know, you, you have a team like Purdue that could be that could kind of tilt the scale in favor of the Big Ten. But I still like Wisconsin overall. I think Iowa has a good chance just because of their schedule as well. I'm not I, – I do like Northwestern, but I'm, I'm going to hesitate in taking them because, again, we don't know how healthy Clayton Thorson is. The story with Illinois, of course, uh, Lovey Smith, will he be around next <laughs> no. year? Uh, you look at Levy Smith, I think he played like 16 true freshmen. They say, well, when they grow up, they're going to be pretty good. Will he be around when they're juniors or seniors? Yeah, um, that didn't really work for Charlie Strong either. 3-9 uh, and nine his first year, 2-10. and ten, uh, He's 2-16 and 16 in Big Ten play. 2-16, <laughs> and 16, that's awful. Uh, of course, Minnesota and Nebraska are interesting Nebraska could be the wild card because they went four and eight last year, but I thought their roster was much better than four and eight. You know, you look at players like J.D. Spillman, who can be a heck of an offensive weapon. He can he can be that kind of hybrid running back wide receiver combo that that teams love to use. And I, I you know, you bring a guy like Scott Frost in there, I think that's giving them a lot of positive momentum. I think fans are fans are always supportive in, at Nebraska. I mean, they're always going to sell that stadium out, but. Now I think they have reason to be. The the, the, the prodigal son returns. He's, he's coming back to, to bring us back to the national national stage, and I think that's that's going to give them some momentum, and it's, it's going to be easy for those players to buy in. And like I said, I think they have better players than four and eight. So look out for Nebraska. They might surprise a few people. Minnesota, uh, I, I was shocked, Aaron. I didn't expect him to, to sprinkle that magical fairy dust that Tom Herman mentioned uh, after he lost to Maryland last year but to see his offense struggle they they averaged 22 points per game which was one of the worst averages in the country it's not you know it's not something we're used to seeing from a pj fleck offense so i think this is going to take a lot longer than, than maybe some of us anticipated overall big 10 love it i'm so anxious to see what happens here i i think you know i think wisconsin is the safe bet in in the west but the east you have so many compelling storylines you have so many front runners teams that could that could take i think you have four legitimate options that could come out of there and i, I think you're going to have some incredible games uh, uh, michigan ohio state cannot wait for it 
November 24th, and of course it all gets underway for the Wolverines September 1st as they go to Notre Dame. Yes, I, that's another bet I like. I like uh, Michigan's, I think, uh, favored by two points, and I, I see Michigan winning by double digits. And today, nine nine three seven seven six two. That is your Big Ten preview for today. Where are we going tomorrow? Big Twelve. Oh. Hope you like offense. Yeah. Defense? Mm, not so much. Eight 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 nine nine three seven seven six two. It's the Stuart Shelby Goosehead Insurance Hotline slash Text Line. Coming up, we teased it at the beginning of the show, so we need to run a little bit of it. Our series with conversations with legendary coaches. You'll hear from Charlie Brown coming up after the break. Plus, our parting shots. Welcome back to the show. As we sometimes do, we tease something and then we tease you for the entire show and then we finally deliver. Yeah, but at least we deliver, right? So at the beginning of the show, we talked about uh, just some incredible runs that we've witnessed in high school football for state championships. No one will ever match, though, what the Neville Tigers did back in 1972, winning three games over the course of eight days. So this week we're doing a little bit of a series, conversations with legendary coaches. You heard from Leon Barmore yesterday. Today we're going to share a little couple clips with you from uh, Charlie Brown, of course, who passed away in 2011. I had the opportunity to sit down with him uh, numerous times and kind of do some in-depth interviews and conversations about former players from this area and a lot of great teams that went through Neville. Charlie Brown, of course, uh, coached at Neville for 42 years, 30 years of that he was the head coach of the other 12 as an assistant under Bill Ruppel. Charlie Brown's overall record, 263, just 67 losses and six ties. He won, ended up winning uh, three state championships, three runner-up finishes. Here's a little bit from Charlie Brown just on the start of his career on Forsyth Avenue. Very much so. Football is blocking and tackling. You can refine it and uh, pretty it up a little bit and spread them all over the field now. It seems to me that's what the fans want. But uh, football will always be blocking and tackling, and uh, blocking and tackling is desire. The kids that uh, want to the most uh, and are willing to pay the price will eventually emerge as champions. Now, the ball's not round. It doesn't always bounce true. We've had some bad bounces, just like we've been at the right place at the right time and gotten some good breaks. But uh, that's part of athletics. That's part of life. That's one of the lessons of life that these young men that participate in our program uh, take advantage of. I know you took over as the head coach in, what, 1962? 63. 63, and then yeah. you won your first state title as the head coach in 72, correct? 72, that's right. Were you feeling a little bit of pressure then, having a little bit of a, I mean, I know they won some in the 50s, and then were you feeling that 10 years? Yeah, I, I was fortunate enough to be uh, an assistant coach with uh, Chick Childress and Buck Stewart and Sonny Smith along when Coach Rupa won his uh, 50, 57 out of 58, 47 out of 48 or something. We lost to Pineville 20 to 19. We won it in 19, uh, let me think a minute. Uh, we won it in 1959 undefeated. Then we lost to Pineville 20 to 19, and Pineville won the state championship the next week. Then in 61, we won it. And in 62, we won it again. So uh, that's when Coach Rupel retired as coach and became an athletic director. And uh, I was fortunate enough to be named the head coach. And uh, 
There wasn't a long line waiting for the job to follow Coach Rupel, but. There's some big footsteps you were following him. Tremendous footsteps. He, he was more like a, a dad to me than he was a boss. But uh, we were very, very close and uh, uh, would be today where he's still here, and he is in spirit. He, he's at every ball game we play now. A conversation drifted to some uh, legendary teams that uh, the Neville Tigers have had through the years. And you have to start with uh, 72 and what took place. Uh, we'll play the sound here, and then we'll kind of fill in the gaps. But uh, just an incredible run. Three games in eight days, something that would never take place nowadays, correct? N never, no. So I asked Charlie Brown about that magical year in 72 and what it was like. Well, it was special in many, many ways. First of all, the 1972 version of the Neville Tigers, who were undefeated state champions, did some things that no other high school anywhere has ever done and will ever get the opportunity to do. By that, I mean we were forced, uh, fortunate enough, whatever, we played three games, three playoff games in eight days. We played Brother Martin on a Friday night down in City Park Stadium in New Orleans and were tied, zero to zero. First downs, penetrations, Everything was tied. So the uh, alternative we were given were flip a coin, which Brother Martin wasn't for and we weren't either. But uh, the other alternative was to play again Tuesday. So we thought Friday. Well, we drove all the way back from New Orleans to Monroe, not knowing whether we were won or lost. We were tied. And Tuesday, they um, Saturday morning, they decided we would play Brother Martin in Alexandria on a Tuesday night. So we played in the rain in Brother Martin down in New Orleans. We went to Alexandria to play, and it rained the entire ball game. And we were fortunate enough to pull that one out. Uh, uh, what was it like to turn around and, you know, you have to prepare for the championship game, I guess, what, three days later or four days later? Uh, well, yes, sir. We played Tuesday night, and we had to play again Friday. We played Airline High School from Bossier here at Neville for a, a state championship, and again in the rain, <laughs> a downpour. But uh, I think our kids got to the point where they believed that that was helping us. We were used to that. The old master was taking care of us. So we were lucky enough to win, and uh, it was a big, big ball game and a big victory and a tremendous effort by those young men, people will never know. Brother Martin, that we had to play Friday and Tuesday with a physical football team. They'd beaten us the year before, seven to six down there. And uh, a very, very physical game. Well, boy, it, it took everything we had and a little more. There you go, Jake. They thought about flipping a coin after the first tiebreaker first downs ended in a tie at nine. The second tiebreaker penetrations of the opponent's 20-yard line also finished level at one apiece. And then, of course, the LHSA had no way to resolve it besides the coin flip. So they said, well, we'll just play this game, resume it, or play it over again on Tuesday. And they play that one, and it is an 8 to nothing win. So then on Tuesday, they didn't have to turn around and square off against Airline for the championship game on Saturday. Three games, eight days. Here's Charlie Brown on what it took to beat the Vikings. Looked up and we said, well, don't worry about it. We don't play again until Friday. And we had to play airline here who had a 
couple of weeks rest, ready to go and chomping at the bit. But the kids uh, bowed their neck and uh, behind the wonderful support that we have from our following, our fans that follow us everywhere we go, they were glad to be back home and they pulled out their garbage bags, plastic garbage bags for raincoats. They didn't, didn't have to go buy their paraphernalia. They were all ready and we came out and was lucky enough to pull that one out. Uh, just on the fact that they had to play three games in eight days, do you think that team should go down as one of the best teams ever? Oh, very much so. Very much so. Just on that alone. Uh, we, we never know. Nobody else has had to do it and, and won't have to do it. But uh, uh, fortunately, uh, we were able to come out of it all right and didn't have any serious injuries. We had some kids that were sick with the colds and flu and stuff from playing in the rain three consecutive games, but uh, you didn't, you couldn't tell it by the way they performed. And uh, as a result, that place will all, that team will always have a special place in my heart. Good stuff from uh, Charlie Brown, of course, uh, passing in 2011 with that 263 overall wins and of course the impact that he had on the number of kids throughout Northeast Louisiana. Yeah, I love that he owned that, too. Absolutely. They should be considered as one of the greatest teams of all time. He's right. Nobody else has really had to do that. I haven't heard any other stories like that. Uh, the defensive effort in 72 also to basically have three playoff games for the semifinals and the finals. You have to play the semifinal twice. Right. And that D did not give up one single point in those three games. <laughs> insane. Yeah. Absolutely insane. Great stuff. Uh, another conversation with a coaching legend coming up tomorrow that leads us to our parting shot i started <laughs> when we didn't have computers we didn't have cell phones we didn't have any of that garbage you do what everybody else in the media does just creates and throw it on the wall and see what sticks have something to ask just like this let's do it that's where'd that come from i never said that nobody in this building ever said that so where'd you come up with that just you know had a dream about it or what but see, it's real easy when you're not in the business, when you've never played the game, when you don't understand truly what the game is. And that, to me, that's chicken. All right, so um, I think I'll, I'm looking here as far as... What are you backpedaling for, man? You didn't backpedal on Michigan. Why are you going to start now? Well, I'm looking for a part shot, to be honest with you. <laughs> I think we can go with the, the arbitrator ruling in favor of USC over Steve Sarkeesian. Now, for those who were unaware, um, Sarkeesian filed a wrongful termination suit against USC, basically saying that they did not help him with his alcohol, alcoholism. And uh, I was happy to see that the, the court favored uh, USC in this case because – I think it was a ridiculous claim, like saying that, that well, they didn't help me with my problem. Um, I, I, I'm, it's it's like passing the buck, man. Like, when, when are you going to just own, own, sit there and own up to, you know, what your shortcomings are? We all have them. His, of course, was alcoholism. And you know what? Let's, why don't you own that? And you've, you've bounced back from that quite well. I mean, it's – the wonders of Nick Saban, what he can do for you. you. Go work with him. You can get a job anywhere, no matter what your past is. It seems, 
Um, so yeah, I, I think he should just be grateful for that and and uh, move on. Should he stayed at Alabama instead of going to the Atlanta Falcons as the <laughs> new offensive coordinator? Yeah, it didn't exactly work out. I think uh, the Falcons dropped. They were leading the NFL in 2016. They averaged somewhere around 34 points per game. Last year, the Dirty Birds could only muster about 22 points per contest under Sark's watch. Yeah. Um, and you know what? He was trying to get $30 million in this lawsuit. $30 million. That's just insane to me. Um, I don't want to get too too caught up in the legal process, but uh, just all up to your mistakes, man. And I think he should be happy with the way things have worked out, even though Atlanta fans aren't thrilled about his what he's done with that offense since he's taken over. It's probably a pretty big year in a Sark's career. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's hard to, you know, when you've got the offense that Atlanta has and you go in the opposite direction, you know, last year under Sarkeesian, yeah, they, they're expected to turn things around pretty quick. Mm. I know this is just a rinky-dink operation, but not a bad show for July 10th. Of course, I uh, enjoyed visiting with Gus Cattengill and former ULM head coach Todd Berry and now the current executive director of the American Football Coaches Association. A lot of great stuff from former head coach of ULM, Todd Berry, in the 7 o'clock hour. Coming up tomorrow. Big 12 preview. All right. We got, is it Counts? Yes. Dr. Counts will join us. And our uh, Coaching Legends series will continue. Who do you want to hear from? I was waiting on you to tell us who was going to be on. Let me dig in the vault. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let me see what I can find. Uh, yeah, that's that's more like it, right? See what's accessible. Uh, World Cup, 1 o'clock. You better be watching, Jake. I expect a full rundown. Are you going to watch it, Aaron? Yes. I will have it on in the office. I now have cable and office. Are you going to take notes on it? I will be taking uh, no notes. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I would like to see you try to give the full World Cup update tomorrow. And, and we give Tabor a Tab- No, Tabor's – why would I steal the thunder from Tabor when he's carried it all just, the way you through talk, you talk we get a, to the semifinals, and then I'm going to take you, it away you from You talk him. a big game, but, you know, I want to see you kind of back it up. That's all. That's all. I mean, I, we know Tabor knows. I wouldn't do that to you. Tabor. I want to see you crash and burn, and then we have to call in Tabor. We sit, we <laughs> from the bullpen. The bullpen. Yeah. They'll come in the fourth inning and save me. That's right. <laughs> Everybody have a great day. The Edge is coming up next. Thanks for listening to the best of the morning drive with Dietrich and White. To listen live every day, tune in at ESPN977.com or subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find podcasts.